the, the passage that we have in front of us today is John chapter 8. And I just want to make um, a few comments about it before we get into it. But, you know, one of the overarching themes in this passage is fathers. It matters who your father is. If you looked around the room, probably a lot of you would notice biology difference or biology similarities as you look around the room. Um, notice characteristics that might be true of your children. Um, even, even people who don't share the same biology often share the same beliefs. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to challenge us with just to think about for a minute is not only what is your biology, because that's certainly true about fathers and you, you get a lot from your father in that way, but also your belief. I think sometimes that's even more of a powerful influence. And, you know, I wanted Joe to stand because Steve considers him somebody like a father. There's a lot of, a lot of us have people in our lives that for one reason or another have paid more attention to us than our biological fathers did. And, and some of that's not because of anything bad. It's just you've gravitated as you moved as an adult or geography has changed your life and you've come to look to somebody as a father. So biology is important. But I think belief is the most important. And I think as we look at this passage, we're going to see two systems of belief and two fathers. We're going to have the one true father. And then we're going to have the father that um, tried to hijack the eternal father and was thrown out of heaven. Your father, the devil. And I just want to suggest that you act like your father. People laugh at me all the time. And they say, and my brothers laugh at me sometimes and say, gosh, Dad, you know, you sound like Dad. You sound like your mannerisms, the way you carry yourself. It's like your father. And some of that you just can't get past um, for sure. But some of it is important. And I think this passage clues us in to two groups of fathers. And the question I just want you to ask yourself as we look at this is, who do you act like? Which of your fathers do you act like? Well, who, which father do you act like? I want to, I want to draw our attention to Verse number 12. And I almost can't do this without giving some background here. You know, we just read the story, um, the beginning of John chapter 8, which is probably, I mean, if you look at the, the, the style and the w- which it's written, probably isn't part of John. It's probably something that was added later. You can look at the language and even if you just look at the language of the first part of it, and Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat and taught and taught his disciples, went up on the Mount of Olives. It's something that's not you don't find anywhere in John. Um, probably canon it's probably part of the canon, but um, probably certainly doesn't belong in the in the book of John here. It was probably inserted here because of the theme um, in later manuscripts. Uh, that that story of the woman taken in adultery um, was inserted later, but you know I'll say this about that story: it's a great story, and um, it's good, and and it really it really highlights one idea, and the idea that it highlights is mercy triumphs over justice. You know, justice is not what we need. We need 
mercy. And it goes on into this passage and, and, and fits, fits nicely in here. Um, but just to draw you back to chapter 7, what was happening? You've got the Feast of Booths, and we talked in some detail last time, uh, the Feast of Tabernacle. People are living in tents. They're commemorating the time that Israel spent in the desert. Um, in fact, part of the ritual was to take a branch from a tree and to march around uh, the altar seven times. And as you marched around the altar seven times at the, at the climax of this feast, everybody put their branches in to represent the temple, or the, not the temple, the tabernacle, the tent that the Lord lived in. So everybody's holding their, their bows, uh, their bows, sorry, uh, over the, um, um, altar. They're singing a song. They're quoting scripture. In fact, the priest gets a, a cup of water that's run from the pool of Siloam, comes up and pours it out to represent the water coming from the rock while they were in the desert. And there's this big climax, a celebration, the Feast of Booths. And then Jesus stands up and cries with a loud voice and says, I am living water. He says, let me just quote this verse so I don't mess it up. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow living water. Something else that's happening in this commemoration is the, Is the Israeli... Well, let me, let me explain something else to you first. <laughs> I apologize. Let me, let, me go, let me just have you look at verse 8. This is going to make more sense if I do it in order. Or chapter 8, verse 20. just to get some background. These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, but no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. When you're looking at, He says that He's teaching the day after this feast ends, He's teaching in the treasury. Now, if you think about the temple for just a second. You've got three main parts of the temple. You have the court of the Gentiles, which is the outermost, the farthest away from the Holy of Holies. If you're a Gentile, that's as far as you can go. Then inside of that, you have the court of women. And so, um, if you don't have to be a woman to go in that part of the court. But if you're a woman, you're not going to go into the next court, which is the court of priests. And that's where the sacrifices are made. Unless you are taking a sacrifice to a priest, and then having it all offered, and then you would be back into the court of women. So the treasury is in the court of women. So that's that's where this land that's where this lands. And inside the treasury, there's about thirteen, for lack of a better word, treasure chests or or offering boxes. Maybe is the way we would understand it today. But there's these big trumpet-shaped um, offering things and, and a box or some kind of collection me mechanism so that if you put in your temple tax, you know it would go down into the smallest part and then be collected in a box. And there are these ornate trumpets with treasure chests under them sitting there in the temple in the court of the treasury. Why would you do that? Well, you know, it's a, it's a way to keep the money safe. Because, you know, if you go to reach down into a trumpet-shaped thing, you know, at some point it's going to stop your hand. But you can throw a coin 
and it can go into a box. So these ornate trumpets are around this part of the treasury in the court of women. The, the first and the second trumpet was for the temple tax. You know, you had to have a half shekel. We heard about that with Peter and Jesus taking a shekel and paying the temple tax for him and Jesus. So you've got trumpets one and two that are, that are for the temple tax. Uh, trumpets three and four are the ones that you purchase pigeons with. And, you know, pigeons were used, uh, for sacrificing, um, for poor people. You know, if you didn't have enough money to purchase a goat or a bull or a lamb, then poor people would use doves. And interestingly enough, also women after childbirth would pay, would, would have two children offered, or two children, listen to me. <laughs> this is very interesting. <laughs> this is very little known. In fact, scholars have never talked about it. Um, two pigeons were offered for purification ritual after having children. And th- those were all put in in um, the trumpets three and four. Number five was if you wanted to help with the purchase of wood, and um, you'd put it in the fifth trumpet. Um, incense was trumpet number six. Um, the vessels, the upkeep of the vessels is in trumpet number seven. And, and basically, eight through 13 were just general surplus. Why they did this, I guess they wanted to track how much Money was coming in for incense, how much money was coming in for the wood. But this is all happening in the treasury. Now, just so just think about this. Only the most devout people or only the people who are willing to, you know, give some money, maybe they're well bankrolled, are going to be hanging out in this part of the temple. You know, that, that so just, just thinking about the audience. Who's going to be in there? You're going to have Pharisees. You're going to have scribes. You're going to have important people. Um, but you could also have poor people that just come in, pay their temple tax. Um, or you could have mothers who are, are um, in purification ritual. This is the backdrop. This is where this is happening. Now, remember, this is the day after the feast is over. Something else that's interesting about this feast, a feast of booths, are in the treasury. Guess what? Guess what happens? In the treasury, there are these huge candelabras with lights burning. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking a menorah in my head. I don't know if that's right or not, but certainly there's some kind of huge, bright lights. In fact, some, some people who wrote about that said that there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that wasn't illuminated. So there's this, all this light spilling over the night before. The candelabra is probably still in place. Um, and and that, they use that to commemorate what? The pillar of fire that happened when they were in that wilderness wanderings. Part of the Feast of Booths was this brilliant display of light that lit up Jerusalem that you could see for miles. Much like, I mean, I can just imagine sitting there as a child just looking at that light and, and how unusual for a, uh, a shepherd from out of town who's used to the, just the, the, the beautiful stars at night to see this massive flame and these massive lights spilling over all of the city and just imagining. I can just see myself just imagining. I wonder what it would be like to be led by God. To have this pillar of fire. That's what happened. This is really true. This stuff we're commemorating, it's really true. There was a pillar of fire that led our people and a pillar of cloud by day. And I'm just saying the educational opportunities, the reinforcing the ideas of the Jewish people, this was at its climax for these children, for these people. It's on everybody's mind. And it's into that backdrop that Jesus comes the next day 
with the candelabras in place, probably still in the treasury, in the court of the women. And he says, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's no mistaking this claim. The people there weren't wondering, like, what's he talking about? He's the light of the world. They weren't wondering. They understood. He was saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light that guided your people in the desert. I am that pillar of fire. I am. I am. That's what he was saying when he said, I am the light of the world. If you look over in Isaiah... Chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I am the light for Jerusalem. He literally said, I am the light of the world. A light for the nations. He says basically the same thing over in um, chapter 49, also in verse 6. He says, Is it too light a thing that that you should be My servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Some of the rabbinical writings, Messiah's name was Light. Another interesting prophecy, you can just flip flip over to Malachi. I want you to see this one if you can put your eyes on it. Malachi 4.2 but, but for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Everybody heard that, but what? tell me the spelling of the Son of Righteousness. It's S-U-N. Why this fascination with light? Well, well, let's think about this for just a second. What is the first words that God spoke into this world? He said, let there be light. And there was light. He created light on day one. And God saw the light that it was good And evening and morning were the first day. So the very fabric of the universe started out with light. Of course, something that's very interesting, the light bearers are not created on that day. They're created later. The sun, the moon. So light was here. Light. John's Gospel very in very much in Genesis fashion starts out um, in John chapter one, 
Let me just not. Let me look it up real quick so I don't don't mess up the wording on it. I think this is important. Verse four in John chapter one. In Him, talking about the Word, talking about the Son, talking about Jesus, said, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. So, the the Son embodies life. And that life was light. Now, you know, I don't know, I probably don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do think it would be very fascinating to, to think about this for a, for a long period of time. Um, maybe today isn't the day. But where does life come from? Why didn't God create man on day one? Why didn't He start out with man? If He's supposed to be the... Why didn't He create animals? Why didn't He create plant life? Why, why are these things in order? I'm going to suggest to you, of course, this is maybe a little bit of... Um, I'll, I'll uh, allow you to disagree or allow you to question um, my thoughts about this because I don't think it's clear in Scripture. But I, but I do think there's a property about light, and we're still studying light, still trying to understand it. You know, what is light? You know, and I, I did some internet searches just thinking about this, just what is light, and man, I'm telling you, there's just a lot of, lot of information out there and a lot of different theories, and a lot of them are religious in nature. But basically, light started in the Big Bang when these um, molecules got together with those molecules and exploded and put our universe into existence. So I don't know where they got the molecules to start this. Anyway... Um, but, you know, the recognize that explosion, that energy, that light happened, even for an unbeliever, it's back in the beginning. It has to be there. That light, that energy, some, some light is created by speeding up the atoms. You know, uh, there's a chemical reaction that happens. Kim Buttram pointed that out to me, I think, after, after Jack pointed it out to him. That it's not just you need heat and light and fuel, or heat and fuel and um, air to have a fire, but you also need a chemical reaction to happen. And so that that, that chemical reaction happens, and you have fire. And the and what is the brightest fire out there? It's the white light. Um, you know, and, and Jesus in his transfiguration, angels are described as having this white light, this pure light, hottest, brightest, purest light being white. As you'll watch Mr. Kemper play with the fire today, I'm guessing we're going to be cooking on blue light. There's something that's a little bit less, uh, less hot. We in West Southern West Virginia, we love to think about the best and brightest fires because we've got the natural resources here in southern West Virginia to make steel because our fire, our coal burns so bright. All these things about light. John said, light has come into the world. Um, he says, let me just read verse 5. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John came as a witness to witness about the light. He was not the light, but he was a witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is, this is John's narrative explaining how important light is. Darkness versus light is a backdrop that John paints his beautiful poetry. Light. Light. Light is brightest when darkness precedes it. 
But what happens? Darkness and light can't dwell together. Dark light naturally expels darkness. It pushes things away. In fact, light has come into the world we see over in John chapter 3. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Light exposes. I mean, you can do a lot of things in the dark that people can't see. Light is what we pick up with our eyes. It's what's reflected. You know, what color is this shirt? Somebody tell me. You say blue. You would be wrong. It's literally every color but blue. The blue hits the shirt and is reflected back to your eyes and all the other colors stay. They're absorbed by this shirt. Because light reflects blue. This light reflects blue to us. Light allows you to see, you know, the thought of running through the forest in the deepest, darkest night is terrifying because you're going to be running into things. You're going to be banging into things, right? But if you run through the forest in the brightest of light, you can dodge trees. So it is with our lives. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not just a light for Jerusalem. Not just a light for Ephrata. Not just a light for the the Gentiles, but for the whole world. His claims here in John chapter 8 could not be more clear. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. By the way, when Jesus says, I am, at the end of this book, the end of His life, when soldiers were coming to arrest Him, you realize what happens when He speaks His name? They fall down. This is powerful. There is power here in this name. He is saying, I am. And in particular here, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, there's something there. I'm just saying, when when you when what what is required in plants to produce life? To produce chlorophyll, the the one of the basic building blocks of plant life. What do you have to have? You have to have light. Light has to shine on a plant. You stick a plant in a closet, it's going to be dead. There's life in light. And he's, he's either trying to explain something to us in molecular biology, which is, was what I suspect, um, but it is certainly an illustration. Even if it isn't, you know, even if he isn't trying to speak to molecular biology, it's an illustration of what he wants to say, for sure. But in him was life. And that life is the light of men. Back to Genesis, he created light. Maybe He created life or the ability to have life. And then He put that into a cow. Put that into a tree. He put that into um, a fish. Ultimately, putting it into man. In Him was life. There was life. Bios. The ability to have life. I'm the light of the world. Here's the catch. Want to know where the catch is? Do you want to figure out who your father is? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.
whoever follows me. What did the Israelis do to the light? They followed it. I mean, he, this is, he's just speaking into this. He's speaking right. Of course, here's the thing. All those illustrations, what were they for? They were, he was growing up Israel all their lives, illustrating things that they didn't understand for these moments, for these climaxes. And one of the things that I just, you know, it just, it boggles my mind that Jesus set up the sacrificial system so that Caiaphas, the high priest, could do what? He could order the ultimate sacrifice Himself. He set up the priesthood. He set that up so that they could ultimately sacrifice our God. All these things are, all these things are echoes, are images, they're, they're, um, they're illustrations to push us to the truth, to push us into the light, to bring us in. Why have children and men and women dance around and, and put the, the boughs of trees together? Because it illustrates a tabernacle. It illustrates Jesus ultimately tabernacling among us, living among us. All these are signs or portents, um, things in the future that are ultimately getting ready in, 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 in very short time to come to fruition. Whoever follows me. Who follows? Soldiers follow. Soldiers follow their commanding officer. You know, somebody who's a commanding officer says to a, 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 somebody under his charge, you know, go do this. The soldier doesn't go, well, I'm not going to do that. That's a dumb idea. A soldier, a good soldier follows. Who else follows? And especially in this culture, a slave follows his master. The slave doesn't say, no, I don't think we're going to plant corn today. No, he follows. He buys in. He, he gets the vision. You follow wise counsel. Somebody, if you're, if you're feeling kind of crazy in your life and you don't know exactly what to, what to do, where to go, who to, who to trust, what to emphasize, you seek out wise counsel and the wise person follows that wise counsel. You follow the law. You know, if the, if the speed limit sign says this, you follow that. You, 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 you are drawn into the laws of your land and you follow that. Understanding that maybe Whoever's in charge is seeing something that you're not seeing sometimes, but you follow that. And, and also another way that you follow is you follow an argument. I'm looking out in this crowd and you do that when you're a speaker and you can tell if people are following you or not. Um, if they're doing this, you know, they're probably not, um, just for the record. <laughs> you know, or if they're just kind of staring over here, probably not. Um, but, you know, you follow a, a teacher's argument or reason and you, and you join into that and, and it becomes part of you. Lots of ways the word follow is used. Um, whoever follows me. What's the litmus test? Is it that you perform a ritual? Is it that you clean up for Sunday morning service? Is it that you um, make this confession at, at one point in your life? Those things may all be good things. But the litmus test here is whoever follows me. Whoever joins me. Now, you're a human being like I am, and you're never going to follow Christ perfectly. If it were up to that, then you'd be relying on your good works, and I'm not trying to teach a gospel like that. We understand clearly at Providence Bible Church that there's nothing good in us except that is energized by the Spirit. But 
Christians follow the teachings of the Word. He says later, um, trying to remember the words. Yeah, down in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, if you live, again, tabernacling. You've got that tabernacle right here in the background when he's saying abide. They're all abiding in booths. They've been abiding in booths for a week. Um, if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is beautiful stuff. I'm telling you, this book, and I've studied it a long time and a lot, and for years, and I just feel like when I when I go back to study it, things go. I mean, there's a lot packed into this book. This is not. This is a simple book, in one way, but it's profound. It's profound. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, again, I've kind of maybe even confused you a little bit talking about biology and belief. I don't want to confuse you. I want you to see this on a biological level. Obviously, if you've got a flashlight and you have light that's coming out of the flashlight, and by the way, light is like that. Light is a, a wave. And it's also particles. At least that's what modern science is trying to tell, tell us about light. Um, those little, uh, little particles that you can actually has some substance, they're, pho they're um, photons. Um, so you've got, you've got light happening in a wave, just like sound, and, and you know that light, we have exactly the speed of light, and I can't even remember what it is, but um, I should have written that down so I could have sounded like smarter than I am. Um, but you know, we have the exact speed of sound, we have the, in a vacuum, we have the exact speed of light in a vacuum. And light is faster than sound, and that's why some people look like they know what they're talking about until they start opening their mouth, and you hear their hear their words. They look like they're bright, and after you hear them speak for a while, you know. There's no application to that in me. I just want you to don't make that application. So we've got the biology, which I think there's something to it, that, that in light is life. But more important than the biology, in Jesus Christ, there is light. And that light is life. Spiritually, eternally, most importantly. So you've got the biological... You have a father. Everyone in here has a biological father. Which may or may not have been the, 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 the best mentor in your life or, or treated you like a son. But I'm going to tell you something. Over here in the belief, you have a father. You have a father who is God of the universe, who is light, who will bring life to you. And if you follow this father... Even if this father's a disappointment, this father will never disappoint you. The belief. And so, what you believe is really what determines who your father is. And that's what this whole passage is about. And I've exhausted um, my time just talking about the first sentence. I, I'm sorry, I really intended to get a little further in this. Um, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He goes on to, the Pharisees go on to question him about his parentage, about his heritage. They question, they know he was from Galilee, but he's kind of trying to pull himself off as the Messiah. Everybody knows that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And let me just let me just show you something there. Your belief 
blinds you to the truth or you allow the truth to expose you. That's why men like darkness because the truth exposes you. They were saying, we know where your father is. We know you're from Galilee. Did they even know what they were purporting to know? They didn't even know. They didn't even ask. They assumed. When you, when you believe something, you start making assumptions. And that's on everything. You just, and the most important thing that you can make an assumption about is who your father is. And again, I'm not talking about biology. I'm talking about belief. Who is your father? Who do you act like? These guys, they knew his parentage. They, they knew his history. You know, they knew Joseph. They knew they were from Galilee. But belief blinds you. I mean, really, and I know I've said this from this pulpit before, when you start listening to the Big Bang Theory and talking about how all these things get together and exploded, I mean, you're just ignoring. I mean, that's just like, wop, wop, wop. You know, you're just ignoring where did that stuff come from that exploded? And, you know, maybe when God created the universe, you guys can fuss at me about this later, but maybe when He created the universe, He exploded something at the beginning. But it came from Him. But your belief about when you say, your belief about, let me say this clear, your belief about one thing will, will color the rest of your life. If you reject Jesus Christ as God's Son, you will, as this passage will say, you will die in your sins. I'm confident of that. If you reject Jesus Christ as someone to be followed, and you follow and you do not follow Him, you will die in your sins. Because, as He will point out later, you act like your father the devil. The Pharisees, every time He talked, every time He put truth, every time He threw light out there, they reacted violently. They wanted to kill Him. At the end of this passage, they go to kill Him. They're picking up rocks. They're hunting Him down. They're ready to strike. They're going to kill Him this day. But as John points out many times throughout this book, his hour had not yet come. Pilate, when he's on the cross and, and, and he's questioning him, Jesus is not saying a word until Pilate said, don't you understand who I am? I've got the power to kill you right now. And Jesus was just like, it's like it erupts out of him. You don't have any power that God hasn't given you. You've got nothing. You know, Jesus confident in God's power, says you have no power. Jesus offered up His life. It was not taken from Him unwillingly. He offered Himself this sacrifice and was killed in the ultimate sacrificial way of a cursed tree. Biology is important. You know, if you want to be tall, you're probably going to have to have tall parents, right? You know, if you um, want to have dark skin, you're probably going to have to have parents that had dark skin. Biology is pretty powerful. Um, and that's a lot of bleaching treatments if you're, you know, if you're looking to lighten your skin tone. Biology is very powerful, but biology is not the main thing. You know, I, I just marveled um, at, at um, John Pace's kids. Probably, I don't know. It's probably I'm thinking about Jack, probably. But you know, I don't know. It's probably seven, eight years ago. Um, he's a. How old are you, Jack? You're nine. So that's probably about right. Seven, probably more to the seven side. But seven, eight years ago, he scoops up John's phone and goes. And I'm thinking, how in the world does a little kid that can barely walk know his way around an iPhone and get to whatever app he wanted? And it was, I think it was a drawing app, as I remember. And he's drawing, you know, just like that. And I'm thinking, he's not even two years old. Why? Biology matters. You know? I don't think Steve Kemper's girls were doing that at two. 
They might be able to tell you where the deer were. Biology matters. But it matters so little compared to the ultimate choice of who your father is. The ultimate choice. John, let me go back to the... You've got to, you've got to keep this in your mind as you're reading John. John chapter 20. These things were written that you might believe. Because belief is the way we consume things spiritually. No matter what it is. When we believe something, that's how we consume it. These things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you might have life. Eternal life. You know, when you're talking about your biology... I've researched it out because you know I've always wanted to be a millionaire. Turns out that the best way to become a millionaire is to have grandparents that were millionaires. Now, I don't know if any of you know my grandparents. Some of you I know do intimately, but um, I'm I'm out on both sides on that side, on that deal. So biology matters. It, it determines you know whether you can get into MIT a lot of times. It, it, it really determines whether you play professional sports. You know, there's a reason that um, you're like, that name sounds familiar. Oh, that was his father. His name was Perez or Ewing. You know, there's, a, there, there's biology and nurture and, and, and nature involved in who you are as a person. It's there but it is nowhere close to as important for the eternal question. And I've told you guys many times, I love you children. I love to, love to see you in here. I love to see you taking notes. It's beautiful. I love to hear you listening to the words of life that the preacher um, gives here on Sunday morning. You can grow up in a Christian home and not believe. You can have biologically... People who are believing. You can grow up in a community where everybody's kind of a Christian and not believe. Adults, we can participate in that community. We can even lead in this community and have the biology for it, but not have the personal belief. What's the, what's the belief that he says in this one sentence that I only got through one sentence um, today? He said, whoever follows Me. Like the big pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, if an Israeli didn't follow Him, they were never going to make it into the promised land. They weren't true Israelites. But again, that's a biological thing. The real thing is, if you believe in Me, if you believe My Word, anyone who hears My words and puts them into practice. So, Belief. My question, and I'll I'll quit talking soon. My question is, who's your father? What I want to say to you is, you are a child of the father you follow. And there's only two options. There are children that are Jews. There are children that are Gentiles. Pagan Gentiles. Like probably most of us. Or maybe even all of us. That are children of God. Children not born of a husband's will or by nature. But born of God. That's the message of John. And you, you might think, well, I've heard you preach before and you've preached a very similar sermon to this. Good. Because that's what this book is about. He keeps on doing the same sermon over and over and over and over again. Why? That we'll get it. Because these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in His name. And that's... That's the book of John. And he'll say, 
I am the light of the world. He'll say, I am the bread of life. He'll say, I am the light of the world. He'll say, I am the gate. He'll say, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he'll lastly say, I am the vine. There's seven of them. We'll get to all of them. We're through two. We've got five more to go. But listen, every one of those illustrations is to illustrate the basic point of John, which is there are two options. Unbelief and belief. And it matters for everything. Happy Father's Day. Honor your biological father. Honor (coughs) the father who has adopted you and brought you into his family. Honor the fathers, the figures that you've had in your life that have really breathed life into you. Honor those people from a biological perspective. But let me say, most importantly, honor God as your Father. Follow Him. Abide in His words. Those are some of the words out of this chapter. Get what He's, get what he's selling here. Buy it. Buy, buy what He's selling. Father, thank You for spending a magnificent amount of time in beautifully creative ways to illustrate over and over again Your most important question to us. Your most important point to us. May we be quickened by Your Spirit and allowed to say with David, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One thing that I ask, and that's to gaze on the Lord's beauty and to dwell in His temple forever. Amen.